I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Society for Nautical Research, in partnership with Lloyd's Register Foundation, I'm Sam Willis, and this is the Mariner's Mirror podcast. The world's number one podcast dedicated to all of maritime history. Hello and welcome back to our Mariner's Mirror series about the maritime history of Wales. My name is Eileen Abley Watton and I'm from the Brecon Beacons area. Today I'm going to be finding out about a medieval ship that was discovered in the city of Newport in 2002. The ship was unearthed by chance during the construction of the Riverfront Art Centre. The find provoked a huge response from the archaeological and local community, who campaigned for funding so that it could be fully excavated. The ship had been preserved in excellent condition, so it's an amazing find for this Welsh port, and there is a lot to talk about. The man to tell me all about it is Dr Toby Jones. Toby is a nautical archaeologist and the curator of the Newport Medieval Ship, a 15th century clinker-built merchant vessel found in the River Usk in Newport, South Wales in 2002. He's worked on several other projects around the world, including the Red River Wreck in Oklahoma, the Aberach Wreck in Brittany and the Mika Shipwreck in the Gulf of Mexico. I really hope you enjoy the interview. It has really inspired me to find out more about medieval Wales and its connections to the Atlantic world. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Toby. Can you briefly describe the Newport medieval ship for our viewers? It's uh, nearly 20 years now since they've discovered the medieval ship in the uh, banks of the river in the centre of Newport. Uh, It was during construction work for the Riverfront Theatre and Arts Centre, and uh, during the excavations they dug one very large deep pit. In the bottom of it they found the intact remains of a massive medieval uh, merchant vessel, beautifully preserved uh, by the alluvial clay. It's a uh, very large clinker-built or lapstrake-built merchant ship. It dates to the middle of the 15th century, and we know that uh, based on dendrochronological research and artifactual research that it was built sometime just after 1449, and then it came into Newport in the late 1460s. And uh, specifically after the spring of 1468, but before the winter of 1469. And so you're looking at a ship that was built and existed in the uh, mid part of the 15th century, And for a bit of context, that's right in the middle of the Wars of the Roses uh, within the UK. Now, the ship itself is also coupled with that uh, tree ring dating was the fact that uh, timbers appear to come from the forests uh, in the hinterland of the Basque country. And so it looks like the ship was A, built sometime after 1449, but B, 
built uh, probably in the area around San Sebastian in the corner of the Bay of Biscay there. And so uh, that is a brilliant bit of archaeological and general chronological detective work and that uh, that really provided the you know, rock-solid dating for the ship. But uh, the artifactual evidence has really supported that, but also added to it in terms of uh, basically every single thing found on board, uh, the nuts and seeds and uh, artifactual remains like ceramics, coins, everything is Iberian and specifically Portuguese. And so it looks like this ship, a big merchant vessel, was engaged in the wine trade, and it looks like it was sailing from points probably south of Lisbon up across the Bay of Biscay, up the Severn Estuary, and probably trading with Bristol, and then it uh, Bristol's right across the channel from Newport, and it looks like it came into Newport in the late 1460s uh, for repairs. And so midway through this repair process on the ship, and it looks like it healed over and um, became inundated with mud and water. And because it's a very highly tidal uh, river here, the River Usk in Newport, huge tidal range, uh, over 14 meters. And what happened was uh, the ship very quickly became uh, buried in the alluvial sediments and basically sealed. And so it was, wasn't until summer of 2002 that it was discovered uh, when they were digging in that specific area. Wow, um, it's amazing how well preserved it was. It was really down to the preservation conditions. This, uh, it's perfect for organics and everything from the leather shoes to the timbers. I mean, the archaeologists were actually walking back and forth on the timbers of the ship in their steel toe gaps. I mean, most shipwrecks I've seen and worked on, they're like wet cardboard. Uh, this is hard as a rock. We were actually cutting some of the timbers and uh, cutting them in two to take dendro slices. And, you know, no oak typically goes black or a very dark color when it's waterlogged and, uh, and and buried. And what happened was the Newport ship, the outer layers were dark and or black, but uh, you only had to cut through maybe uh, 10, 20 mil. And we were getting like golden sawdust in these timbers. And they're fundamentally, they're waterlogged, but they're, they're not really decayed, which is a bit unusual. And it makes, it's a joy to work with because it's so robust, but it's a problem at the same time because it's very difficult for the conservation treatment to actually penetrate timbers and also to get the water out. And so just like the Mary Rose and the Vasa, uh, other big ship projects, we've been using polyethylene glycol. In their case, they sprayed the ships, but we were able to disassemble the ship and soak it. And so we soaked it in the polyethylene glycol and then put it in a vacuum freeze dryer. And we're still doing it 12, 13 years on. We're almost done, though. Wow. So that's still an ongoing process. Yep, we're uh, just over 80% done, and we anticipate being completed, completely done with the... Uh, the timbers are fully soaked with wax. That's not an issue, but the freeze-drying is a bottleneck. And uh, uh, Mary Rose are currently undertaking the last uh, freeze-drying, probably three or four more loads. So hopefully this time next year we ought to be done. Wow, it's it's fantastic that it's such a, a huge project. And um, when I was reading about it, I saw that there was a huge campaign at the beginning to make sure that the ship would be fully excavated. Were you involved in that? No, actually, I I was hired in 2004. I missed the actual excavation, but it was a rescue excavation. It took them about six months, three months to uncover the ship and three months to disassemble it and raise it. And at that point, uh, you know, they sigh of relief and then they um, put it all in a huge warehouse and then took about a year uh, of it just sitting there and watered. And then they hired a small team of us to, you know, basically what's next? What do we do next? And so... Um, uh, it was only supposed to be for a year, and that was 16 years ago, and uh, we're still working on it. It's a huge, you know, monumental project, but it really was down to uh, the public pressure that it was saved in the first place. 
because it was holding up construction and it wasn't it wasn't certain at first how significant it was and even how old it was because it was so well preserved but a variety of dendro dates and you know, artifactual initial uh, analysis suggested this thing was medieval and therefore highly significant and very very rare survival but it still wasn't determined at that point that it was going to be saved it may have just been a um, record and discard but in this case the huge amount of public interest and public actually public protests and 24-hour vigils on site and eventually enough uh, pressure was brought to bear that they um, identified money not just to document what was there and but to actually remove it and and save it for future study uh Problem being, it's such an enormous object. I mean, it's we have over 24 meters of remains, 10 meters wide, five meters tall. They couldn't lift it as one, so they or even cut it into sections. So what they had to do was actually um, disassemble it into all of its thousands of uh, individual component parts, and then at that point they lifted the ship in pieces. And but some of the pieces were originally, say, 14 meters long and half a ton or more. So a lot of things had to be cut into smaller sections uh, just to handle them safely or even fit them in the freeze dryer. But we, you know, end result, we have, I think, over 3,000 timbers, you know, on the database and probably 1,000 artifacts. And uh, we're in a warehouse here in Newport, and we've built big artifact stores where we store the timbers and the all the dried material. And uh, we've been doing trial reassemblies of small sections, but we can't trial reassemble the whole thing because it's too big and so we just work in sections at a time and test how things are going to go together but the ultimate goal of the entire project is to reassemble the ship is to dry out the remaining hull timbers and then we're going to have the entire assemblage dry and conserved and the whole goal is to reassemble the hull uh, as it would have looked reshape it and support it and uh, put it on display so you can walk into a huge museum hall and see an actual medieval uh, merchant vessel, you know, reconstructed. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. I'd love to come and visit when it's finished. What kind of role might this play both in in an educational role within the museum, but also for future research? Yeah, the uh, the common saying is that, you know, once you reassemble it or even the reassembly process itself will double your knowledge. And then when it's actually reassembled, uh, it just becomes... Uh, obviously a major visitor attraction, but a huge uh, research resource. And uh, we did a couple of things that will help this early on. We digitally recorded all the timbers. We individually either scanned or digitally contact digitized every single timber in three-dimensional, using three-dimensional. Wow, that must have taken a long time. (laughs) Yeah, it took took years. And, but what we had was, what we created was a super high resolution, um, very detailed uh, three-dimensional drawing of every single timber. And we laser scanned all the artifacts. And that allowed us to 3D print. Even back in the early days of 3D printing, we 3D printed every single part of the ship at the at 1 to 10 scale. We put that together, built a 1 to 10 scale model. We laser scanned that, and we used that to figure out what was missing and the original shape. And all of that has underpinned our work to basically create a 3D blueprint. And that 3D blueprint is what we're going to follow when we reassemble the ship. And so, you know, just from a archaeological you know, research perspective, uh, there's been academic outputs that's, you know, we've covered all that, uh, I think, in really um, in depth and in great detail. And uh, but the real payoff is actually getting on display. And so for normal people, for non-academics to uh, uh, be able to appreciate this, uh, that you have this tangible, you know, historic or uh, artifact and, and piece of heritage. You know, people love ships and uh, we've had you know a number of studies done that said getting the ship on display will draw 
100,000, even 150,000 people a year would come to just to see this. And based on, you know, look at what happens at the Mary Rose and the Vasa in Stockholm and uh, you look at Cuddy Sark and SS Great Britain and, you know, people, these are real attractions. And um, what we have here is totally unique. And so it's taken a long time, you know, but ship projects take decades. But we are getting there to the point where, you know, there'll be nothing standing in the way of reassembly. And so that is the ultimate goal. And we're closer than ever. I mean, really, we're within a year, I think, of having no reason not to reassemble the ship. The big if there, or the thing you have to watch very carefully is that the two other major ships on display, the Vasa and the Mary Rose, they're both having huge problems in terms of um, how they're supported and how they're structurally, um, they're very, they have, and we're very aware of this and we're all, you know, we share information with the other projects. And um, the key here is to support the ship in a, as comprehensive a way as possible so you avoid point loading. And so we're working with Swansea Uni and we're developing some really uh, fantastic cradle designs and uh, we think we can basically avoid all these problems that they've had. And we have a unique opportunity because Newport was disassembled. It's basically flat packed. It's in thousands of individual pieces. So our idea is that we're actually going to be able to build the cradle and then build the ship around it instead of trying to... And basically the, the beauty of the whole thing is the cradle is going to be invisible. So all you're going to see is the ship. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So you've spoken a little bit about the software you're using to create a digital record of the ship. Will that play quite an important role in its reconstruction? Yeah, it'll be critical to reconstructing the ship because, um, you know, uh, to put it bluntly, a lot of the pieces look the same, but they're not. Every single timber is a different length, thickness and width. And uh, we were so uh, fortunate they kept such good records during the excavation and every timber still has its tags in it and all that. So we know what each timber is, and we and we have these massive 3D blueprints, and then we know where each timber goes. And then, but the real key is the shape, the geometry of it, and getting that right because the timbers shrink 
during the conservation, during the drying process. They actually swell up when they're wet and then shrink again. And the problem is the shape of the ship in the ground is not the shape that the ship was, nor is it the shape that the ship will be after it's dried in the museum. So there's actually something like seven different iterations that the ship, from when it's built to when it's on display, there's a fantastic um, range of artifacts, everything from coins and shoes to wooden bowls and combs and uh, just really anything that was organic, uh, just fantastic preservation uh, at the expense of the metallics. There's almost uh, maybe one in a hundred nails had any iron left. And um, generally speaking, you never get a preservation environment that favors both organics and inorganics. So in this case, luckily it, it favored the organics, which is the, the bulk of the ship. That's incredible. Um, I came across the coin, actually. Um, I think, was it set into the keel? Um, and I saw that you think that might be something to do with um, good luck. Um, so I was wondering if there were any other kind of practices that might have been on the ship um, with the same sort of superstition. There are several interesting things like that on board the ship. I mean, the, the coin was fantastic, and it was actually one of the first really strong bits of dating evidence that was found. It was a silver coin purposely inserted in the keel of the ship where the right underneath where the stem scarfs over it. And basically it's the very first day you're building the ship and they chiseled that little hole in there, put a silver French coin in with a cross on it and uh, built a ship around it. They still do that today in the Basque country. It's seen as a very vulnerable part of the ship and they actually will have like a priest there blessing it and uh, giving it divine protection. And that's what that coin is doing there. And that coin was only minted for two months in uh, 1447. And so the fact that it's French isn't really significant. It's just that it has a cross on it. And uh, But you should have seen it. We walked by that timber for several years before it came time to clean it and pulled it out on the bench. And uh, the conservator found the coin just perfectly hidden in there. But there's other things that we don't understand. Like there's some interesting hidden holes in the ship with neat little carved holes that have a little like a blanking plate over the top that makes it almost invisible and then one of them was filled with chicken feathers i mean figure that out so we just have these we definitely have a lot of uh, unanswered questions in um that we've discovered both during the primary excavation but we really doubled our knowledge during the uh individual analysis of each timber which is pretty typical on ship projects you have to to really understand the ship you need to look at not just what you see underwater or in the field but you need to clean the timbers and really study them in detail and I mean, some of the remarkable details were that these wrought iron clench nails to basically hold those overlapping runs of planks together. And about every 150 mil, they'd run one of these nails in through the two timbers that overlapped and then put a rove on the inside and peen over the nail and basically create like an early form of a rivet. Well, they drove these nails in so hard, they left a nice dent and that's the perfect impression of the nail head. And uh, same on the inside of the hull where this rectangular rove was, that leaves a nice dent. So even though those have dissolved completely, you can see exactly where they were, exactly what size they were. But even more remarkably is that underneath the nail heads, uh, we didn't, we saw it must maybe a dozen times before we actually believed it. There's actually the maker's mark that was on the nail, this kind of uh, six-sided star on the underside of the nail head it was like a little bump there standing proud. When they hit that nail into the timber, that star shape transferred into the timber and that that nail dissolved a long time ago, but those little star impressions are there. And like I said, we didn't believe it until we saw it repeatedly. And that is the maker's mark of the blacksmith on those nails, even though the nails are gone. It's transferred over. That's incredible. Yeah. It's that level of detail that we found. And uh, it's um, it's only possible when you do this very detailed post-excavation, like secondary stage of recording. 
which takes time. So honestly, we've spent, I think I last did the numbers in 2012. At that point, we'd spent over 110,000 hours on post-ex. You know, whatever the saying with underwater archaeology and marine archaeology is that, you know, every month in the field's a year in the lab, and we're more than proving that. But it'll be worth it in the end. I suppose there always will be unanswered questions, but just before we finish, is there any date that you can give our viewers for when they might be able to come and visit the completed ship? Not sure about the completed ship, but uh, we are open right now every Saturday uh, to the to the public. They can come and see the warehouse and uh, just check the website. In terms of a date, it's actually, I estimate it's going to take about three years to reassemble it. And so even if we had a home, a good year or two, I think, to sort out a home, uh, you need a huge, you know, climate-controlled hull. But if we can get that, the actual reassembly process is going to take, you know, I'm going to say two or three years, and we'll be very, very dependent on volunteers and all that, anyone who wants to get involved. But optimistically, there's no reason this couldn't be done and dusted in five years. Um, but in the meantime, there's a, a great website. So I just Google Newport ship. And uh, the other thing is we've, because we're, we've tried to do everything open source and everything's been done digitally. We have de- deposited an enormous archive with the archeology span data service. And so there is uh, something like 12 or 13,000 files, all of our primary files, all of our reports, drawings, everything, photographs, it's all on the archeology span data service and it's all free. And so ever, anyone can have access to anything that we've uh, created. Wow, well, it's such an incredible find. So thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been really, really interesting. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you all for listening. That's it for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do go and follow our social media pages. You can find us on Instagram and YouTube. If you would like to get even more involved, you can go and join the Society for Nautical Research, which does not cost a lot, but is a huge support to us. You receive four copies a year of our Mariner's Mirror Journal, which has been published for over a century, as well as access to all of the existing publications that there are online. Most importantly, you become part of a community dedicated to preserving and celebrating our maritime history. As always, we love to hear from you, so please get in touch with any questions, comments or thoughts that you may have about our podcasts. You'll be hearing from me again very soon when I get the chance to learn more about the Bronze Bell shipwreck, another fascinating find in North Wales, but this one involves a bronze bell from 1766 and 65 tonnes of Carrera marble. Join me again next time to learn more. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.